And I did eschatology and ecclesiology last week from Genesis to Revelations. Well, actually, Genesis 49, sorry. (laughs) I left out some things. Let us read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to have ears for this. Father, as I have looked at this letter, and I even see a change in me, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they will understand the urgency of the day, but the preciousness of the time. Father, let us hear. Let us stand in awe at the privilege you have given us. Let us be overwhelmed at what you do and help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We started moving around in this thing, and I wanted to share with you some stuff that sets the framework, the ministry of the church and the body of Christ. There are things that you and I have possession of that the Old Testament saints never even knew of. They never were written of. They were never explained to them. They were never defined. They were never described. And yet you and I have the privilege of possessing these things. They did not understand the indwelling of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 26. The Old Testament saints never saw Messiah that would dwell in the hearts of his people. They saw was an external kingdom. If you look at his disciples at the time of his ministries, wasn't that what they were looking for? That was it. I mean, when he rode in victoriously into Jerusalem, Hosanna to David on the highest. They were ready for the throne of David to be taken again. They did not understand the internal part of his kingdom. See, and I mean, there's a phrase that is mentioned of it, but they don't understand it. And it says, I will remove that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. But he was calling... Israel to repentance. So they figured if we repented, then we will have arrived. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The mystery of God in the flesh. They didn't understand the divine incarnation. They had no concept that God was going to walk among them. As a being, as a human being. They had no concept of the mystery of Israel's unbelief. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Nor, they never saw that Israel would come to a place of such fullness in its unbelief. They never saw that Israel would be set aside and the Gentile church would take their place. You know what? They never saw the mystery of iniquity 
nor where iniquity would end up. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They had no concept, no understanding, no definition, no description of mystery Babylon. A religious and economic system at the end of time. Revelation 17. Those are just a few of the things that was never seen by the Old Testament people. It was never seen by John the Baptist. The greatest man born of woman. They never understood the mystery of the unity of believers. In this letter in Ephesians. You know what else they didn't get? They had no concept of the rapture. The rapture. Because you know why? The church is not in the Old Testament. It's not defined. It's not even alluded to. The rapture is the church's exit. And then the whole mystery age will come to an end in Revelation chapter 10 verse 7 when Jesus returns. The mystery of God will be complete. And all men, women, and children will know it. They had no concept of the mystery of the bride in Ephesians 5. They had no concept of the mystery of the church as a body. It's never seen. So, do you understand... What an amazing age you get the privilege of being in. Such sacred secrets given unto you and me. We are a part of this age. We should be astonished. That God has given us these things. And yet. What has he put at our disposal that was never available to the Old Testament saints? It was never available. And let me tell you something. This letter, Ephesians, unlocks all of this. It just folds it out like a, a flower blooming. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But there's a key truth. Okay? You need to hang this truth right in the forefront of your head as you're looking at this letter and or any part of this letter. Okay? Ephesians 3.6. Ephesians 3.6. The church is presented as a body, as a body. To be specific, 3.6, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the, the body. Okay? Now, we would all say, yeah, I know that. I've read that a whole bunch of times, different places. You know, the body of Christ. We even sing songs about the body of Christ. I got that figured out. Have you really thought about how astonishing a picture that is? 
See, it's a metaphor. And a metaphor gives us a better understanding. The church as a body, as a body. I had a conversation this week with a pastor. He's dealing with church membership and or the lack of it. Okay. And so he took some time and he taught through the dynamic of the body and the spiritual gifts and all the rest of it. And then him and his elders are going to every family in the church and asking them to sign a letter to covenant with the body of Christ. It's an interesting concept. Because a covenant isn't broken until what? Until death. Church as a body. Think about that for a second. Interlinking, interdependent living organism. That's what a body is. It's not an organization. It's not a denomination. It's not something that you go join. It isn't even a building. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are in Him. Alright? Now think about it. If we're a body, and we are in Him, then through us, pulses the blood life of God, united One in Christ. Grab that and think about it for a minute. That should cause your brain to swell. If one believer doesn't do what they are supposed to do, then the body malfunctions. At that point of that believer. I'm not a doctor and I didn't play one on television. But I have had some friends who have had cancer. You know what's amazing about cancer? It's a human cell. It's the body's cell. And it becomes rabid, I guess, is the only way I can describe it. That's why the body can't fight cancer. Because the body identifies that cell as part of the body. That's why they use radical stuff like poisoning with chemicals or radiation. Do you understand that that's possible in the body of Christ? If someone isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, then someone else will have to pick up that slack. That is the single reason right now that the world thinks Christ is so weak. They think Christ is crippled. That's why you look around right now and you'll see churches chasing other ways. That's why you see them doing big screen productions, musicals, and all of these things. You know why? I want to get as many people sitting here as I can. So that you'll give money so I can hire ministers to take care of you. You know what that is? It's a cancer. It's why the world looks at the church right now 
It says, why would I want to be a part of that? The body must be whole and complete. Ephesians 4, until we all come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now, I want you to think about that phrase for a minute. He's talking about the body. That it will come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Christ should stand up in a full functioning form in his body. The church. Now listen, you sit there and go, oh, amen, brother, amen. No, grab this for a second. As he did in the incarnation. Then you show the power of your God. Right now, I see the power of musicians. I see the power of organizations. Of methodology. Of systems. Christ incarnate in his church. In the fullness of his stature. Now if I think about that just from a cursory observation. I just look at that and say. Who's adequate for that? What video am I going to show you. That accomplishes that. What rock song can I sing you. That accomplishes that. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You're part of something that the world has ignored. And the church has ignored. It is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Right here. Because we forgot that we have the indwelling of Christ. The blood of God pulses through us all in the oneness of Jesus Christ. The church is a body. The church is called a lot of things. The church is called a lot of metaphors. Some of them parallel the Old Testament. Let me give you some. In the Old Testament... The book of Hosea, God called his people his bride. Hosea had a wife named Gomer, and she was a prostitute. And God used that as an illustration of what Israel had done to him. Israel was God's bride. Israel had entered into a marriage covenant with God. And yet had become a prostitute. Another is Israel is described as a vine. As a vine. Isaiah 5. I planted Israel a vine in a very fertile hill. And I waited for Israel to bring forth grapes. But she brought forth wild grapes. Also, Israel is referred to as a flock. In the book of Genesis, he led Joseph like a flock. 
In Isaiah 40, he lifted them up and he carried them on his shoulder as a shepherd. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, so you see the idea of vine, flock, bride in the Old Testament, speaking of Israel. But you know what? You also see that in the New Testament referring to the church. Ephesians 5. Church is seen as the bride of Christ. John 15. The vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches and the trimmer is God. In John 10, flock. Because Jesus is the what? Good Shepherd. So you see the parallels? You even see some metaphors in the Old and New Testament that says that we have been delivered into his kingdom. We are kingdom people. Israel and the church. We see it in the Old Testament and New Testament that there is the family of God. And he is our father. We see that we are in the household of God. Old Testament, New Testament. We are even called a building. A spiritual temple. So you see some parallels that run there, right? Very much alike, the church in Israel. In so many ways, Paul warned us in the Corinthian letter, do not do what Israel did. They were given to you as a warning of what not to do. We heeded that warning, didn't we? 1968, there was a unity of the church in England met and some of the biggest preachers that the world had ever seen got together. And you know what came out of that? America, be warned, do not fall into the music. Guess what? So you see, there's a parallel, right? But you know what? Nowhere in the Old Testament do you see Israel called the body. It's not in there. Many metaphors can describe Israel and the church. But only the church is given the metaphor of the body. It is unique to this age. It is mysterious, it is unrevealed, and it is a new truth for a new age. Think about that for a second. Never was Israel called the body. We are a body in which God can reincarnate himself in Christ and manifest himself. Think about that for a second. Let's chew that around for a bit. Because that's what that says. When you think of the church, you need to think of it as a, a living organism that pulses God. To the point that Jesus Christ can be incarnated in the unity of his saints. How astonishing is that? 
Now, and I'd like to ask you, what little method are you going to use to accomplish that? What are you going to do? Get some upbeat gospel music? Or as I heard a pastor here in town say, what you do is you turn the lights down low and the music up loud. And you set the mood. And I I, I heard the people say this. Well, you know, you've got to prime the pump. Really? The incarnation of Christ, I'm going to prime the pump. You got a serious pump, don't you? Listen, that's why each of us, each of us are ministers of the gospel. I do not have to go out and hire a bunch of ministers. That's like saying, hey, I think I want to hire a church. That's why each of us must be functioning. We function through the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us for the task that the Holy Spirit wants of us. It's not your task. It's not your desires. It's not my desires. It's the Spirit of God's desires. So we exercise our gifts and we do that through the responsibility of fellowshipping and each of us serving. Because that's what a minister is. That's what the word means. A servant. Then Christ comes to the full stature in his church. Then the people can look, the lost can look I see this group of people who all together are the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Grab that. And see, that wasn't explained to the Old Testament saints. Nobody knew what that was. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of the New Testament, early New Testament people, they didn't have any idea what it was. This is probably the greatest reason the world doesn't believe us. Okay? I mean, you you go look at some of the churches here in town right now at what they're doing. It's a concert. How does that manifest Jesus Christ? Was Jesus Christ a rock star? Can somebody tell me what instrument he played? I'll tell you what, I'll make it simple for you. Who was Paul's worship leader? See what we've done? I mean, do you understand the arrogance to say we have this style of worship? Really? Really? There's 43 chapters in the Old Testament on how God would be worshipped. There's three on creation. Which one do you suppose is more important to him? The reason the world doesn't believe us? Simple. Because there's so much confusion in the church. I had a meeting just this morning with a guy who was telling me, you know, 
it's a long, goofy story. But anyway, and I told him. And he said, well, if people are deceived, lied to, and they follow into false religion, then God will still forgive them because they were deceived. And I said, uh, that's not true. And then I explained to him why. Have you not read? It isn't like you can't get your hand on a Bible. Why don't you read it? Because if you read it, then you know when someone says something, well, that was stupid. And you'll know what it says. But that is the confusion that our enemy has put in. I've already told you what spiritual warfare is. It's lie versus the truth. Well, here's the problem. We know the lies better than we know the truth. And if we know truth, then I can spot a lie a mile away. It's the confusion of the church. If you look at the evangelical church in the United States today, specifically. Because uh, when we started working in Russia, you know why they wanted us there? They wanted us to put a fence a sound doctrine around the true churches. And they had qualifications of the men that we invested in that they had to serve in the body of Christ producing fruit for a minimum of 10 years before they would even be considered. Really? We can send a guy through college in three years and have him walk on water. But they want to see something for 10 years. And you know what I found? It worked. They have the tools and the ability now to rightly divide truth. Because you know what? When I first started going to Russia, it was enthusiasm. If you was enthusiastic, you must be a preacher. That ain't true. That ain't true. But here in this country, there is so much confusion. We don't even care because I have pastors look me straight in the eye and says, you need to understand something. Doctrine divides. And I said, yep. The wheat from the tear. The church today in the United States shows a very unclear Christ. Unclear Christ. And yet we are a body. And if we are a body, then unity is key for that one body. I have people who will disagree with me, and that's fine. Go ahead, disagree with me. Bring me scripture to prove it. Because you have an opinion, and I'm happy for yours. But God's is the opinion that we need to be wary about. One body, many metaphors. But you know what? When I think about it, body is the best. I mean, I don't mind being called branches off of the Christ vine. That's cool. 
I don't mind if God is the vine dresser and he's trimming the branches that don't bear fruit. That's cool too. I don't mind being called a sheep. Sheep may get unnerved about it, but I don't mind it because I know who the good shepherd is. I don't have any problem with that. I don't mind being part of the bride of Christ. I don't mind being a gift presented by God to Jesus Christ. He makes it holy and presents it back to God unblemished. I don't have a problem with that either. But when you really start thinking about it, what is the best picture of the church? Right? The body. You can be one wife and have one husband. You can have one flock and one shepherd. You can have one set of branches and you can have one vine. You can have one kingdom and one king. You can have one building with one foundation. But the one that we miss is that there is one body and one head. See, in the body, you see a unity that you may not see in a wife and a husband. In a body, you might see a unity that you won't see in a flock and a shepherd. In the body, there has to be a unity that will be different from the branches and the vine. In the body, it'll be different from the kingdom and the king, the building and the foundation. But in the body, there's one body, one head. In the body, you see it where you can't see it in any other way. Nowhere else is it explained better than right here. A single body. Now, you know what? Because when I think about a single body, it's an amazing thing here. Think about the human body for a second. Okay? Human body. And you have to say, without, you're not going to get any arguments, there's amazing diversity in the human body. Isn't there? And yet, there's mutual dependence in the midst of that diversity. Think about that for a second. The human body is the greatest illustration on how the church is to function. But it's a humbling thing because when you start looking, as small as we are, look at the diversity we have. Okay? And the unity we have is what? Christ. And we get into trouble when we start thinking we're the head. We get into trouble when people start slacking and someone else has to do something they weren't called for to pick up that slack. We get into trouble. That is how the body is to function. We are diverse. But we are excruciatingly dependent. And you know what? We hate to hear that, don't we? I'm dependent on who? 
Never. Well, maybe. Okay, tomorrow. We hate to be dependent on anything. How many of us are saying, well, you know, I need help. That's a tough thing for us. And I've heard all the... Well, that's just the, the mentality of the people in the West. No, it ain't. I've been to Boston. They're the same way. We don't want... We want to think that we're dependent. Look at us. I, I can handle this. God said, no, you couldn't. Because if you could handle it, you don't need Jesus. And then we get Jesus and we're like, but I don't want his body. Perhaps his body doesn't want you. When we learn these truths. Now, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But I did write this down a few weeks ago. And I thought it was so good the first time I wrote it down. I should write it down again. When we learn these truths. We'll stop sitting in our place and watching things happen and start functioning as the body, ministering, loving, sharing, and then we will move. But not before you learn these truths. Because you're going to get out there and start doing things that you weren't called to do. I've cut the body down into two things. In the body, there are two basic, as Peter calls it, there's two basic gifts. One is a serving gift and one is a speaking gift. Okay? Which one do you suppose there should be more of? We were given two eyes. We were given two ears. And we were given one mouth. So we should be watching and listening a lot more than, as my grandfather would say, better be quiet and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. And yet we can't help ourselves. When we begin to understand the riches of our resources in Christ then the group together will manifest the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. To get a gathering of people, regardless of the diversity, all of a sudden, in oneness of Christ. Think about it. Eleven half-hearted men turned the world upside down because they were united in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this. The Apostle Paul. Had no people. Jews hated him. Church didn't trust him. God says, go to the Gentile. Has there ever been a missionary who's had a greater influence than the Apostle Paul? How astonishing. And yet Paul would say, who's adequate for such a task? First three chapters of this book deal with the theology of the body. Last three chapters, the behavior of the body. Listen, one of the things that I have learned in my 
30 some odd years of walking with the king. 20 some odd years of being a pastor. When doctrine is known. Then the practice is seen. You will live out your doctrine. Okay, and what do I mean by that? What you know of God will be seen. And I see people who, I remember a guy praying one time that he gave God permission to heal. And I was like, what? And so I talked to him afterwards and I said, hey, come here. And he comes over and he's got this big stupid grin on his face. And uh, I said, you know what? You need to get a bigger God. He said, what? I said, my God doesn't ask for permission of anything. You will live your life to the size of your God. And your God will be based on your doctrine. What do you know of Him? We're going to go see how this awesome body of Christ functions. How rich it is. And how we can take those riches and those resources and use them for His glory. These first two verses in chapter 1 are an illustration of the framework that we are getting ready to jump into. And there's some amazing stuff yet to come. And just these first two verses. Amazing. Brothers and sisters, let us press on for the upward calling of Christ that we will be the fullness of his stature. And that we will get out of our chairs and get on the move for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the indwelling of Christ, your spirit, and the awesomeness of God within each and every one of his people. Father, may we understand Messiah. May we understand Christ. And may we understand that you dwell in our hearts as his people. Father, may we understand the great mysteries that have already been given to us. That those precious saints of the Old Testament didn't have any idea. No understanding. And yet you have revealed them to your foolish children, to your weak vessels. Father, help us. Help this group of people, even those who ain't here today. Help them to understand what is at hand. What resources we have. And how awesome. How totally, totally awesome. A privilege it is. To be in the body of Christ, your church. Thank you, my King, for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen.